and this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. Reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 19. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Several years ago, while attending a momentous occasion, putting on the final finishing touches in the mirror to my tuxedo, I nearly got into a fist fight with my younger brother. It was a silly disagreement that we had on a cold December day, but considering the urgency of the moment and seeing the anger in one another's eyes, we stepped outside to hash it out. The urgency was my older, our older brother's wedding started in about 20 minutes. So in 30-degree weather in Dallas, Texas in late December, we're standing in short sleeve shirts outside of a church, <laughs> right behind the baptistry, and there are windows where people who are inside could see what may have happened. I didn't realize that till afterward. But as we shivered and talked it out, you know when your adrenaline's going and you're shivering from that and then you're standing in the cold, so you're shivering from that too. As we talked, it became clear to became clear that both of us had a skewed view of reality. You see, I still saw him as my easy target little brother, even though he was at this point bigger than me and a grown married man. He still saw me as his big brother who takes nearly every opportunity to pounce on his vulnerability and expose his weakness, even though I had, well, obviously, I had not changed, (laughs) because that's what started the disagreement in the first place. That was still me. But through humility and multiple apologies, and most importantly, listening, we were able to restore our relationship. 
And it was, it was just a few quick, cold minutes that it took. And we walked back into the church, not only better than we were before we walked out, but better brothers and better friends than we ever had been. Because we took the time to listen, to lay down our pride, and to forgive. Upon doing so, our relationship over the past three years since that happened has been much more fruitful than it was even the previous decade. Our relationship was restored. And the beauty was it wasn't just restored back to how it was. It was restored even better than it was before. We have this saying in our culture that people never change. Right? You may have even said it before. Oh, people never change. Maybe it was about a girlfriend or boyfriend who did something and now they're they're your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it was about a spouse who for the 15th or 20th or 30th time wronged you. Maybe it was about a child who you've been struggling with obedience or disobedience for days, months, weeks, years. People never change. Or don't they? I mean, this widespread thinking is contradictory to the gospel of Jesus. You understand that, right? The, the basis of the gospel of Jesus is that, in fact, people do change. The song we just sang talked about people be, being new. The, the verse that Emily just read from 1 Corinthians. That beautiful line at the end of verse 17. Behold, all things have become new. Paul's talking about all things inside the life of someone who has placed their faith in Jesus. All things have become new. We do believe people can change. We believe that sinful people can go through a metamorphosis-like change by the grace of God, through faith in his son Jesus. We believe that miserable, hopeless wanderers can become dreamers, filled with joy, trusting in the God who is at work. We believe that marriages who are struggling can become new because people lay down their pride and humbly have a conversation and take a step toward one another instead of away. We believe that broken people can be changed. Why, as I referenced in my prayer a moment ago, the Amish back in the early 2000s forgave publicly the man who lived just a couple of miles down the road and came in and killed all those children in the schoolhouse. They publicly forgave him. Why? Because they believed that the family of that man could change. They believed so powerfully in these words of Jesus that they decided to step out in faith, thinking that restoration with people was possible. And tonight, I want us to see, after Daniel's sermon last week, which if you missed, you should go listen, because it's part one of this two-part series right here. Part one was how restoration with God is possible. And tonight, I want us to see, from the next section of Genesis, 
that after reconciliation with God flows beautifully reconciliation with people. The restoration that you can actually see and experience and taste and know for yourself and for me. So, let's pick up the story where we left off last week. Daniel left us on a bit of a cliffhanger. For those of you who don't know or haven't been here, really quick overview is that Joseph has been going through some very severe ups and downs after being sold into slavery by his brothers, and he has risen to be the highest person in all of the land of Egypt, save Pharaoh. He's appointed by Pharaoh, and now he has, he holds his family's future in his hands because he has hands on all of the grain in all of the region, and a seven-year famine is only two years in. And his brothers are at his doorstep, begging for food. They go back. He says they'll give them food. They go back to get their father to bring him back. And here is what happens. Chapter 46, starting in verse 1. So Israel, the father of Joseph, he'll also be spoken of as Jacob in this passage. Those two terms are interchangeable. Took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. His journey is a little over 200 miles and he's going to be traveling south into Egypt from Jerusalem area. And God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation." I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and they came into Egypt. Jacob and all of his offspring were with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All of his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. And then verse 8 preludes, now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. And in your own time, you can read verses 9 through 27, which names all of the sons and daughters and children of Jacob who came with them, totaling a little over 70. Now, verse 28, we pick up. He had, he being Jacob, sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, which is in Egypt where they're traveling. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck for a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and I know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and I will tell Pharaoh and I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me and the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks 
and their herds and all they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. We saw last week that restoration with God is possible through salvation in Jesus Christ. And tonight, we will see from this passage that restoration with people is not only possible with God, but it's also a great indicator of our spiritual restoration with God. When we have been restored with God, it makes itself evidenced in our restoration with people. You may even say that to the extent at which you are willing to pursue restoration with others, especially those whom have wronged you, is indicative of the restoration that you have with your heavenly Father. And it starts right there in verse 1. The first point tonight is that restoration with people begins with worshiping the Lord. As you came in, hopefully you were handed a fill-in-the-blank outline, and if you would like to keep notes to keep your memory fresh throughout this week as this sermon feeds you, you can fill those blanks in. Begins with worshiping the Lord. Restoration with people begins with worshiping the Lord. Verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Restoration with people begins with worshiping the Lord because worshiping the Lord reminds us that he has restored our relationship with him. When we come and offer sacrifices to the Lord, now our sacrifices are different than these that that were offered by Israel. He would have physically killed a lamb or a choice sacrifice as an offering on an altar to God. God has taught us through Jesus that Jesus is the final sacrifice. And so our sacrifices now are what David proclaims in the Psalms has been God's desire the whole time. A broken and contrite heart. A spirit of worship and praise. Even a posture at times of bowing before the Lord. And what this does is it reminds us that God looks upon us with grace and mercy. Even though we have sinned against him. Think about how that lines up your perspective for restoration with others. When you worship God, you and I are not the victims. We're the perpetrators. We are the ones who through our pride, through our arrogance, through our lust, through our greed, through our envy, we are the ones who have looked toward God and caused shame to come upon his name. We are not the victims, and worship 
reminds us that we are the perpetrators. But it doesn't stop there. God doesn't look at us and say, now spend your days enslaved. No, he looks upon us with grace and he says, I know that you have wronged me and I choose to look at Christ as the sacrifice. I give you grace through your faith in Jesus. Now, think about how that changes your perspective when you turn and look to someone here on earth who has wronged you. When you have been given this immense amount of grace that is unexplainable, does that not motivate you to look on others, even those who have wronged you, with kindness and compassion? I tell this to my boys every single day, all three of them, before they walk into school. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And then I say, remember, because you have been shown kindness and compassion from Jesus, you can show it to others, even when they wrong you. You see, what I'm trying to teach them, to train them up in the way of the Lord, is that uh, your response is going to want to be hatred and repay and vengeance when someone wrongs you. But if your mindset is constantly set on the kindness and compassion that you have been shown in Jesus, you can begin to reframe your response to enmity. When people wrong you, your heart can be trained to look upon them with love, with compassion, and with kindness. Not by your own power, but because of the power that God is giving you through his Holy Spirit. All of this begins with worshiping the Lord. Restoration with people. We're not only talking in this sermon about big family or friend rifts that you have with others. I mean on a day-to-day basis even. How you respond when someone wrongs you on the train. How you respond when someone cuts you off in traffic. How do we respond when our boss gives us something that we know is unethical to do? How do we respond when someone at work wrongs us or makes a huge mistake that causes us to have to stay late for the eighth night this week? We can find restoration because we worship the Lord. We learn a few important principles about this idea of worshiping the Lord when it come, in the context of restoration, which is what Jacob is preparing himself for. Here are some things that we learn. Um, they're written there on your uh, fill-in-the-blank sheet, although there are no blanks. We filled them in for you. The first, in verse 2, we learn that we can say, here I am. Everybody do that with me right now. Say, here I am. Here I am. Look in verse 2. What does, Joseph, uh, what does Jacob say? In verse 2, And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said what? Here I am. I switched it around because that's usually you say, here I am, not here am I. Although, if I said, Micah, Micah, hollering at my son, and he said, here am I, I might actually like that. We should try that sometime. But here I am. When, in, when worshiping the Lord in the context of restoration, 
the first thing we can do is say, here I am. Why? Because it denotes a posture of listening. We're ready. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. Now, you haven't committed to anything yet, but you are, in faith, subjecting yourself to the authority of the mouth of God. You are saying, here I am. I am ready to listen to you, God. What else can you do? We learn from Jacob um, that we can go to that next step, which is to listen as God speaks in verse 3. Then he said, he, God, said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. And then in verse 5, we see the third thing. We know he listened because of what happens in verse 5. In verse 5, he obeys with active faith. So in 3 and 5, we learn the second two steps to worshiping the Lord in the context of restoration. Not only do we say, here I am, but we listen as God speaks. And then we obey with active faith. Verse 5, Jacob obeys. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, the little ones and their wives, and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. You see, he didn't even just step out in active faith a little bit. He brought everyone with him. God spoke. He said, here I am. He listened. God gave direction, and he acted. He went. Now, this might not seem like a big deal to us, kind of like a few sermons ago, if you remember, uh, Joseph was in prison, and the writer of Genesis just seems like it's okay to say, and two years passed. After, yeah, but those were two years of Joseph being in prison. <laughs> but two years passed, and we, we went on. It's kind of this happening again. And Jacob moved. This is a big deal you realize that Jacob sees himself as the fulfillment of the the Abrahamic covenant. God told them, I'm going to build a nation here. And now God is saying, leave? And Jacob doesn't just say, okay, I think I heard God say leave, so I'm going to send a few of us away. He picks up everyone and says, God said go. We're going to go. Can you imagine some of the haters behind him who were talking behind his back thinking he realized that he's taking us out of this place that we were promised to be right we should we should should probably stay here we should we, we should reconsider this but no they go they follow they obey with active faith often we lose faith in god when people around us or our ideas fail You see, God saying, pick up and leave, Jacob, could have caused Jacob to lose faith in God. When people fail you and I, sometimes we lose faith faith in God, but Joseph's faith in God's plan afforded him the ability not only to forgive his brothers, but it afforded his family the opportunity for this great move. Through Joseph's faith in God and him continuing along the path of trusting him in all of these different ways, Jacob was given this great mission. This is all coming from Joseph's faith. Remember, none of this would be made possible if he wouldn't have interpreted that dream and stocked up all that wheat over in Egypt and then uh, wanted to restore his relationship with his brothers and 
remember the last few sermons, how he framed his brothers with a cup and he brought them back and he cried and welcomed them. And all of that leads up to this, where Jacob gets this great charge and obeys with active faith. Worshiping the Lord always leads us to a posture that is ready and ripe for restoration. Say, here I am, listen as God speaks, and then obey with active faith. Don't worry about people around you failing you. Don't worry about your ideas. Well, aren't we supposed to be in this land? Don't worry about those falling apart. Trust in God, listen to him, and then obey with active faith. But it doesn't stop there. Restoration with people begins with worshiping the Lord, and then it continues with honoring God one another. That's the next blank. It continues with honoring one another. You can kind of see where this one's going. Now, I know you weren't there. I just tried to describe it with some detail, but this situation with my younger brother, I was the one who was 100% in the wrong. He was innocently doing something, and I pounced on his vulnerability. I alluded to that before, but I did not actually confess it. Now I'm confessing that to you. Don't worry, it's been confessed before. I was in the wrong. Now, when we stepped outside, one of us, me, namely, was going to have to show some honor to the other one in order to even get an audience, right? Had I continued my arrogance and my attacking posture. Do you think he would have even listened to anything I had to say? You don't know my little brother. The answer is no, of course not. Neither would you. I wouldn't listen to myself. You see, it wasn't enough that I decided to go out there. I had to put on this posture of honoring toward him. And then he did the same to me, and we honored one another, and we listened. But when uh, set that illustration on the side and think about restoration with people in your life. When you feel like there's no way you could possibly be restored with this person, maybe the hatred runs deep in you, maybe the hatred runs deep in them, or maybe you have been a victim of such a heinous thing that there's no way you could ever bring yourself to forgive them. I want to invite you to begin with worshiping the Lord and continue with honoring them. You see, worshiping the Lord will set your posture toward being able to look at them with the eyes of Jesus. There's this great passage, one of my favorite, uh, in <clears throat> the life of Jesus. It's in the book of Mark when he is, he's, Jesus has been summoned to the house of a rich man, a rich man, a rich ruler in the land, uh, because he says his child is dying. And so it seems from the context that the disciples are kind of onto this and they're saying, come on, Jesus, let's go. Let's go quickly. So a whole great crowd follows and they start making their way to this man's house. And as they're going, you know, you can imagine these disciples are thinking, oh man, Jesus is up and coming. This guy we've chosen to follow. We were some of the first followers. Now he's going to this rich man. This is gonna be good for the movement. This is gonna be good for us. There's momentum building, right? Jesus is gaining followers on Twitter. The retweets are, the retweets are piling up and it, it, this is good. Now Ellen is calling and like, hey, can I have you on the show? Something like that. See what I mean? This is good exposure. 
And along the way, this is where the woman with the issue of blood jumps into the story. And she taps his cloak. And this is a crowd, a mob of people rushing to this man's house to do this great thing. And Jesus stops. Does anyone remember what he says? Someone touched me. And the disciples say, of course someone touched you, Jesus. We're in a great crowd. Come on, we've got to keep going, we've got to keep going. And he said, no, I felt the power leave me. And the Bible says that he turns and he looked at her. That is so powerful. Jesus turns and looks at her. And you can go read the rest of it, but what he does is he heals her and he lifts her up and he sends her to go and sin no more. The power leaves him because he looked on her with compassionate eyes. How you look on another person has power. And in the midst of conflict, especially when restoration is needed, we as believers in Jesus must look upon one another with honor, with compassion. It's a gift to be able to do this. It's a curse to have to look at everyone with hatred, to look at everyone, roll their eyes and say, oh, just another person that can't change. That's a curse. Don't let that curse weigh you down. Be freed from those shackles and look on people with love and compassion. Let it be known of you. Let it be known of Connection Church that we are those people who look on everyone with love and compassion in our eyes. That the power of God leaves us and jumps onto other people because of the compassion and kindness we have been shown in Jesus. We honor one another and those outside our midst. This is a gift. Receive it. Throw away those old ratty clothes that make you want to look on everyone with shame and denounce everything and have hatred toward people and have hatred toward movements and have hatred toward anything you can get your hatred on. Instead, take on, just as Angela proclaimed at the beginning of worship, take on the yoke of Jesus. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. When you have been given compassion and kindness, the easy yoke is, man, it just flows out of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. But remember, it doesn't begin with that. It begins with worshiping the Lord and it continues with this honoring of one another. When our relationship with God is restored, part one of the series that Daniel talked about, it will, part two, transform the way that we treat others. So here's how it happens in this. Look with me at verse 28. This is Jacob, father of the beloved one Joseph, who was told by his sons a ghastly lie. Here is the bloody cloak. Your son has been killed by wild animals when really they sold him into slavery. Fast forward more than 15 years. Now Jacob sends the representative of the family, Judah, 
the one whom he should hate most for this. Because especially in those days, all of this was on Judah. He's the oldest in the family. He's the one who should have stepped up for Joseph when the others wanted to cast him in the pit. But listen to what Jacob does. Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, which is in Egypt where they're headed. And then they followed. They came into the land of Goshen. You see, Jacob did not allow the conflict that existed most certainly between him and Judah, especially. I mean, for the, for the many years where it was a lie and no one knew about it, maybe Jacob and, jo- and Judah's relationship was okay. We don't have any context for that. We're not sure. But almost certainly, once the lie was exposed, this relationship had tension, Right? The father to the oldest son whose responsibility it was to care for Joseph and he finds out that he lied to him all these years. But remember what Jacob had done. He had begun with worship. He worshiped the Lord. God told him what to do and they got to Beersheba which was a little bit ways down and somehow Jacob knew to look upon Judah with honor. It doesn't say here that he forgave him, but he did enough to trust him to show the way, to not wrong the family again. Jacob honors Judah and sends him ahead. And then, in verse, the next verse, 29, 31, sorry, Joseph says to his brothers and to his father's household, This is when they all arrive. Joseph says, I will go up and I will tell Pharaoh and I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household, who he had already told Pharaoh about, don't worry, it wasn't a surprise. He had already sent him wagons and everything to carry the stuff. But he said, I'm gonna go up and I'm gonna tell Pharaoh that my father's household who were in the land of Canaan, they have come to me. They're here. So you saw Jacob look upon Judah with honor and now Joseph, when they all arrive, he could have been playing them this whole time, right? He could have gotten them all here to pick them all up and then finally have his vengeance. Imagine, he has at his he could just use the whole army of Pharaoh to get vengeance on his family. But instead, he looks upon them with honor. You can almost hear excitement in his voice. I'm going to go tell Pharaoh. I'm going to tell them you're all here. Then he gives them specific instructions because it says shepherds aren't looked upon that nicely in Egypt. So here's some, here's some ways you guys can get around that. He looks upon them with honor because he wants to be restored in this relationship. And then finally in verse 34, we see, therefore, oh, this, sorry, that's Second Corinthians We see that when our relationships uh, with God, like Jacob was worshiping the Lord, when his relationship with God was set in place, he was able to look upon Judah with honor. When Joseph had handled his relationship with God, he was set to honor his family when they arrived in Egypt. And finally, coming back to the passage that Emily read earlier, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You can leave that up there. Judah, uh, Jacob sent Judah to prepare the way for the restoration of his lost child. And hundreds of years later, God the Father would send Jesus, the Lion of Judah. Jesus comes right from the line of Judah. God his Father sends him to prepare the way for the restoration of God's lost children, you and I who have been enslaved to sin. Through this Son, Jesus, we can be called children of God, brothers and sisters who, because of our spiritual restoration with God, can come with a heart of worship and a holy honor for one another and find restoration with other people. It is in the cross of Christ that we find the possibility of vertical restoration between God and man and horizontal restoration between one another. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled you to himself and gave you the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful not only for the restoration that you have given us with our Father in heaven, but Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity you have given us for restoration with our earthly friends, with our spouses, with our brothers and sisters, with our enemies, with our co-workers, with our fathers and mothers, our aunts and uncles. God, would you give us boldness to worship the Lord and then honor one another as we worship you tonight, even through communion and this time of response. God, I pray that you would give us a posture that is ready to look upon others with honor and compassion so that we would be moved to be the agents of restoration that you have called us to be. God, I pray that no one in this room would sit by and want and wait for others to come be restored to them. I pray that we would all move toward those in our lives who we know we need to be restored with, that we would be courageous and bold to move toward them with honor and compassion in our eyes and that we would experience the restoration that you came to provide, not only with God, but with one another as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.